Episode two of Favorite Color Russ, the true crime podcast. I am your host, Mark Sierney, and I am joined by my new co-host, Catherine Elliott. Hi, everybody. I'm very happy to be here. I'm happy too. So a little side note is that me and Catherine have known each other for over 15 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's been a um, long time. It has. And we are both true crime fanatics, so I thought she'd be the perfect person to co-host the show with me. Um, Catherine is recording from New York while I am recording from Minnesota, so we got the whole East Coast, Midwest kind of thing going. And for this uh, episode, uh, Catherine picked the topic, so she will be the moderator. And Catherine, I will let you take over. Okay. All right, everyone. Um, Nice to meet you. So this week and next week, we're going to be talking about the Manson cases, Charles Manson. What we're going to do, because there is so much groundwork to cover, is break this up into two separate episodes. So this week, what we're going to be covering is more just like the nuts and bolts of the case, the key players, the chronology of it, some psychological stuff behind it. Um, And next week, we're going to focus on the trials. Um, there was just no way to get all this information into one episode. Let's just start from the beginning, I guess. Um, so Charles Manson was born to a prostitute who did not want him. And I couldn't find anywhere um, why she kept him. Because she, did keep, she didn't keep him for very long. He was eventually raised by relatives, um, kind of just passed around and everything. He never really had... Um, a home necessarily like he didn't really have any kind of structure in his life but she did keep him for a certain amount of time I think until he was like maybe six or seven um and at one point she tried to sell him to a waitress who did not have children and she wanted children um but she didn't even try to sell him for money she tried she wanted to exchange him for a pitcher of beer (laughs) Absolutely insane. Yeah. And he was old enough to be cognizant of what was happening. He was, he felt worthless. And it says a lot about how later in life he was obsessed with playing God. You know, I think that that kind of filled that, you know, sort of, you know, if you want to raise a sociopath, the first thing you do is take away their sense of belonging. And a lot of people are raised in very unstable environments. And a lot of people come out of that completely, not completely fine, but they come out, you know, able to, you know, move beyond and, you know, they don't they work through their problems and all that. Kind of right. Stuff. Like not everyone turns into Charles Manson, but yeah. it, it, it is a nature nurture kind of a thing. He must've had something in his psychology that, you know, made him susceptible, you know? So when the environment kind of hit, he, turned into who he turned into anyway. Um, so we should also mention that I think because of this, he has a long, you know, record of crimes, you know, minor crimes, yes. which he's been out of jail for. Absolutely. And, you know, he would brag in his interviews a lot of the time about how he was invincible because he liked punishment. Um, and I, I think that probably comes from, 
his, you know, I, when you, when you're punished, that's still attention. So that was a way for him right. to get attention. So he enjoyed, I think that, that attention, anything that he could absorb, he would take. And, um, and it's interesting that he liked that kind of attention. There's, you know, positive and attention and there's negative attention. So that's very interesting. It is. But at the end of the day, when you don't have any attention at all, attention is still attention. Right. And, um, he, he liked that from a young age because at least it was some kind of acknowledgement of its existence, I think. So he ended up becoming around the time that he was, you know, becoming a, a young adult, Scientology became um, very popular and he never really got into Scientology. He weirdly seems like the, not maybe not weirdly, at all, but he, he does not seem like the kind of person who would have been susceptible to falling into a cult. He's very much a leader in it, you know, so he did not get sucked into the, the ideology of Scientology. What he liked about it was the manipulation, the manipulation. Like he, he looked at the tactics they were using and he brought this, those tactics to his own table and would draw in through his charisma and his personality and through these manipulation tactics. I think that he was paying attention to, you know, the, the tactics that the leaders used, but also the kinds of people who were drawn into it. So I think he started to develop an eye for the kind, like the personality types that he could maybe lure into his own cults. He was a failed musician. He loved music. And I, I, according to everything that I've seen and read he thought that he was just like the best musician in the entire world he's yeah, gonna be- heard some of his recordings and they're not brilliant <laughs> yeah, yeah and no one else thought that he was like the yeah. only one who thought he was brilliant and he wasn't like a heartthrob in my opinion yeah right <laughs> there's nothing really going for him in that aspect yeah not at all um so he tried pretty hard Yes, for many, 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 many years there. Yeah, I think he had a lot of bit like bitterness around. Well, maybe I mean I think that he did, but he was so narcissistic that I don't even really know if he believed the the criticisms that he was. Yeah, I feel like he was probably like, well, they just they're jealous of me or something. Right, they just don't understand me. I'll show that. Yeah, yeah, and because of that, it eventually led is through his music that he started kind of collecting a little following of people that he called his family. Um, it was mostly young women, but there were um, also a couple of men. The one that we all know is Tex. He, right. Yeah. He was, one, yeah. And he was one of the first ones. Um, but for the most part, he was drawing in these kind of lost young women the three key players um, here are Susan Atkins Patricia Krenwinkel and Leslie Van Houten Um, they were the ones responsible for the Sharon Tate murder and well, Charlie was responsible, but they, but they were the ones who actually carried it out in text, too. It was the four of them. Um, and there were a couple of other people in the beginning. Um, there was a porn star. I'm checking my notes right now. Um, but they're responsible for both the Sharon Tate murders and also the LaBianca murders, which was a couple of days later. I believe. Yes, yes, you were completely right. What was this guy's name? Oh, yeah, Robert Beausoleil. Robert Beausoleil, um, musician and 
porn actor, Mary Brunner, who was a librarian. Um, you know, not the way it's porn actors, but it's just interesting. It's extremely interesting. Well, it, it's interesting because um, the family was so sexual and the women were treated as interchangeable. And sometimes Charlie would like get favors from like he would he would exchange women in return for a favor from someone outside of the family. Right. Yes. They were kind of just seen as like just money, like money, you know, like they were just. Yeah. Um, yeah. We are not dissing porn actors. Let's edit all of the thing about all the shit about <laughs> porn out here. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just interesting. No, I don't know. Um, so where was I? So he was a musician, got all these people. So Susan Atkins, Susan was probably the most prominent of the family members. Um, she was very, very charismatic and very good at drawing people in. She had a lot of personality um, by the accounts of other members of the family. She um, was kind of someone to aspire to become very free spirited, um, just drugs everywhere. I mean, looking back, I think now they see that she was, you know, make, more just like on acid and less a free spirit. <laughs> but, right, exactly. Um, uh, but that connection to Charles. Yeah. Yeah. Charles. Why did I say Charlie? Did I say Charles or Charlie Manson? I don't know. I've been, inter- I don't know. I, I think he said Charlie. And I've been saying that too, because everything says Charlie and I feel weird giving him the, like that. Uh, yeah. Like name kind of version of his name. Yeah. And then I think, why am I doing that? And it's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to call him Manson. Yeah, let's do that. Let's call him Manson now. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't um, deserve the first name. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Charlie. You know, it sounds yeah. like that. I can't call him that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, tra- and sounding, calling him Charles sounds weird, too. Like, I don't know. I, I, he's just, I don't know. I. Bleh. So, Susan, um, she was a go-go dancer, and she lost her mother to cancer at a pretty young age in that... Um, was very upsetting, of course, for her. Um, and she lived kind of after that happened, after, after she lost her mother, she kind of lived a little bit of a wild life and got into drugs, was looking for, you know, home, kind of looking for a place to reestablish herself. And that's when she met Manson and became kind of one of his main recruiters. I think that she was similar to him in a lot of ways. And then Patricia Krenwinkel, she... Um, she was from a lower class family. Um, and I believe that Susan was as well, um, and struggled a lot and she was very insecure. She felt that she had too much body hair and for a teenager, you know, you kind of just obsess over stuff that you don't like about yourself. And so she wasn't feeling beautiful and, um, Manson made her feel beautiful and that and he was much older i believe or yes. not yeah. well yeah these women all have said in interviews that they were looking for a father figure yeah and okay. they full sense then yeah and they saw that in charlie so they were just kind of hook line and sinker because you you wonder like how is it enough so someone makes you feel beautiful like how is that enough to make you go out and commit murder 
and she was kind of her her older sister. She kind of lived in the shadow of her older sister, so she felt like a forgotten child and just kind mm-hmm. of ran away from home. Um, and then Leslie Van Houten, um, she came from a middle class family, but she got into drugs at a pretty young age. Um, and when she was a teenager, Leslie got pregnant, and um, her mother told her to have an abortion, and then told her that it was too like after the abortion she told her that it was too late to have an abortion so the two of them buried the body of her baby in the backyard which is absolutely nuts completely nuts so that's the common thread that these women these three women have in common they they all needed a place to go they all needed someone to look up to they needed someone to f- to follow they were still so young their brains were still developing you know they weren't right. even you know in their mid 20s yet so they they got just got lured into it and you know they thought that charlie that <laughs> you almost said charlie again oh my god they thought that manson was um this they thought he was a brilliant musician. They enjoyed his music. They thought that he was just a fun hippie guy because that's what he wanted people to believe of him. He was not that. Um, no. Yeah, no, he wasn't. And I believe, like, I know there's a lot of drugs, and I'm not sure that Manson took part in the drugs all the time. I read that, too. I, I think he wanted to, to stay in control. He wanted right. to be the one to, um, he, he wanted to be the master. And speaking of master, that's what um, led to the whole helter-skelter thing, which was a race war. Um, he wa- he told his family that that black people... And we should just say, like, in, um, just by calling them, you know, his family, that just creates this whole kind of new dynamic where, you know, all these last people felt like they belonged then. Exactly. They found family with family. They right. found what they were looking for. They were lured into it and um, felt um, they felt a sense of belonging, which sounds so simple. But if you don't feel that you belong anywhere and you're so lonely, that is it's a very it's very important to feel that you belong somewhere. Right. Especially and, when you're a young, impressionable age, too. Right. And I'm not making excuses I'm, at all. Like, uh, Why well, think you are, Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just trying. Like the thing that, I, that interests me about all of this is trying to understand just how that had. I've always been interested in how he was able to lure in these 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 people, these these women and some men like how is no, I totally agree with you. I think it was just the perfect culmination of all these factors. Right. Right. And so that got me thinking like, well, what would it take for me? And so I have a question for you, Mark, okay. what would it take for you to join a cult? So if it was at my age now, I, you know, I'm in my thirties, you know, it would take a lot, but I'm thinking back to when I was, you know, their age. I mean, it, it's not going to take, you too much if you're lonely you don't know what to do with your life you have no direction and then here comes this person along that seems like they're going to give you direction Mm -hmm. um that's a big factor 
But also, I think for me, it would take still then it would take a lot because I've always had really good family support and things. Mm-hmm. So for me, it would probably take a lot. You know, I'd have to be offered some diamonds, you know, <laughs> some jewels. I don't know, something where I would be able to be able to do that, I guess. If that sounds at all intelligent. No, it, well, no, it makes perfect sense. I think that's what it would take. You have to have everything kind of taken away from you and nowhere to go be in a place of desperation. So for you, what would it be? The same, I think. Just yeah. I, I would have to feel like I had nothing to fall back on. And I would have to feel scared with no resources. And I think it's also a big deal, um, especially back then, um, being a woman, female. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's a lot, lot of less. Yeah, a lot of less options, um, especially if you're displaced mm-hmm. versus a man. Mm-hmm. Um, men obviously had more options to do a lot of things. So I think a big deal, I think it's a big deal that the fact that there were three women versus one, one guy doing things and the women seem to be the ones doing the majority of things. Oh boy. Okay. So the fact that serial killers are almost never women. That's another reason why this case is just so unsettling and and just creepy. These young women are out there just brutally, senselessly slaughtering, violently slaughtering these people. And and enjoying it. And, en- and enjoying it. And so I was thinking, what if the tables were turned? It, it would not be anywhere near, for me anyway, it wouldn't be anywhere near as disturbing if there was, um, if, if the killers were, were men. Like, even if it was like a woman in charge, di- like directing these murders and the three killers were men. Yeah, that, it would be totally different. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd be as interested in the case. I'd be like, well, that makes sense. You know, she's the mm-hmm. mastermind and they're just out being violent, you know, like, but, and that's, you know, um, that's a whole nother layer of like social construct, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, no, but I think it's totally true. It'd be a totally different story if it was all men doing it, but yeah. Yeah. And um, they were, and then violence against women as well, because it was um, mm-hmm. Sharon T and Abigail Folger. Yeah, that aspect as well. Right. And having no um, sense of empathy at all for the fact that Sharon was pregnant. Right. Exactly. Um, Was nine and a half? Nine and a half months. (laughs) Is she a manatee? Eight and a half. (laughs) Let's get back into Helter Skelter really quick um, just to lay that ground or work out so that um, next week when people have to tune back in for the... Did we talk about that yet? How we're splitting this up into two pieces? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> and they don't have to tune back in. We want them to. <laughs> yeah, okay. So <laughs> we just want to get all the information yeah. out there today yeah. so that next week people know what we're talking about when we get into the trial. Um, so Helter Skelter, um, it, it was uh, Manson's race war that he created. Um he convinced the family that black people were going to kill off all of the white people except for the family members and that they would be stuck after all that happened, that they would be stuck in a position of needing leadership and that they would end up joining the family and that Charlie would become their master. So insanity, absolute racist, disgusting insanity. So, in the murders, the Tate murder and the LaBianca, the pig was both written, pig was written in, in both murders um, on walls in blood of the victims. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to signify, they were basically creating their own copycat murders to make the police believe that 
um, black people were the ones committing these murders. And Manson set that up on purpose because he, he wanted, he wanted to ignite that. He wanted his belief system to become true. In interviews with him, he had told people that he, um, was trying to show black people how to murder people who they believed were pigs. So, and I think that he did that in order to set off this race war, because if that mission actually did in his mind complete, then he would be able to become their master. Like it was this whole psychotic logic. Do you think like he actually believed that and did that because of that? Or do you think that was like his cover up? Cover up for what? For all the murders, saying that he's trying to do a race war. Okay, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I don't think, I don't think that he was, um, like, I don't think that he was confused psychologically. I don't think that he was psychotic. He was a sociopath. He was a narcissist. But I don't think that he was unaware of what he was doing. So no, I don't think that he did believe himself. Um, I think that he was hopeful that if he could convince other people that his desires. Like he was so grandiose that he thought that he could start a race war. Exactly. Like, I think that he thought that he could make his desires become true, even if they weren't true in the moment. That's what I think. I, uh, that's just my impression of it. What do you think? No, I totally agree. I think that, you know, he thought he was, you know, so awesome and could do anything that, that he could start with war. I mean, that's a crazy, terrible task to want to do. And I think he thought that he could do it. And honestly, if, if this had continued, he maybe could have, I mean, look what he was capable of doing in this like relatively short amount of time. If he hadn't gotten caught, if he had been able to just be left out in the world, who knows what he could have done? Who knows? He was a terrifying, terrifying person. So during the um, the Sharon Tate murder, she was the last one to be killed. And I did not know that because she had to watch everything. She ha- yeah, she had to watch everything. And she must have just had been absolutely just ter- what a horrible way to die. Just being so terrified like that, watching your friends die and you know, having Susan At- Atkins come up to you every now and then and assuring you that you're going to that you're going to die, begging for your life, begging for your child's life. And then you go and um. So, um, and Sharon was the one who wrote pig on the wall in that murder. Sharon, you mean Susan? Oh, Susan. Su- yeah. It was Sharon's blood. Susan wrote oh, okay. it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was in Sharon's blood though. I did not know that either. Yeah. It was Sharon's blood. Um, but the most messed up thing I think was something that Leslie, Leslie Van Houten said, um, in her trials, she, she said that she, that she liked, she thought that stabbing was fun and that the more she did it, the more she enjoyed it. Right. That's so, crazy. Yeah. And it's that desensitization, um, mm. which is something that we see a lot of right now with everything that is happening in our country. And um, you, it's a slippery slope and they were all on so much acid, which acid is, is a drug that can make you go nuts if you take too much of it. And I do think that they took too much. However, that is also not an excuse for what they did. 
there was enough apathy to get involved with this whole thing in the first place. There was enough, you know, and, um, very easily brainwashed. Uh, Manson would show up with a shaved head and a swastika on his forehead. And then, you know, immediately after his entire family would have the same exact look. They would follow everything they did. So that I, um, I'm looking at my notes. I think that's basically what the nuts and bolts of this. It, we didn't really get into text too much, but he was also at the, at the Sharon Tate. Um, he gets left a lot, I think, um, in the telling of the story from anybody really. Um, cause I feel like he was kind of just the man that had to be there. Charles wanted a man there somehow. Right. And he did say, um, I am the devil and have come to do the devil's business. Right. Um, I do want to point out, though, a little bit about um, the location wise. Um, for the Sharon Tate murders, okay. he, Char- Charlie, again. Right, drank- what is it? Like, even we're no. getting sucked in. We're getting- <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Manson, he picked that house because many years before he had um, auditioned for a music producer that lived there. Yes. So um, it's kind of like, I don't know if he knew that there were new people staying there. I believe that he didn't, but I'm not sure. But that was... a the location that he picked for, you know, the murders was a place that he had gotten. Yeah. He, from. he picked it based off of location, not because of per- he didn't care if there were new people living in there. Right. He just exactly. picked a location. I think that's what we say now. We say, well, that's because he had gotten rejected there. Yeah. It was all about his ego. Everything is about his ego. He just wanted to be God. Anything else? Not on my end.